And Lord, we thank you for that reality that it is not by our works, by anything that we do that we come into relationship with you, but it is only through our receiving of your gift and your offer, not just of salvation, but of a change of heart and renewing of who we are and giving us a heart of flesh and putting your spirit in us and living in us and through us. And I'm so grateful that we don't have to run that treadmill, that daily treadmill of having to be good enough, of living our life good enough to gain your love because we already have it. And we are just eternally grateful for your plan of salvation and restoration for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Morning, everybody. School's back in gear, right? Um, in fact, so in light of that, anybody who's in education, I'd like to ask for you to stand. Is there anybody here? I know there are. Anybody in education in any form. Now, probably not students. Um, we will pray for you next week. Uh, but if you're an educator, if you're a para, if you're in administration of any form, we would like you to stand. Because schools, it's, it's off and running, right? You guys, uh, university starts tomorrow, I think, um, running hard. And we would like to, one, to honor you and give thanks for you because the role you play is so significant. Jesus was known as a teacher. That's what his followers called him frequently. And you have a lot of young little lives that you're dealing with, or even old Old little lives, whatever. I mean, Steve's, I guess yours aren't so young and little, huh? But, <laughs> but we, can we pray for them? I'd like to, to do that. So, Lord Jesus, you were called teacher by those who are most close to you. And so today we bring before you with great thanksgiving um, all of the educators here today. And we ask that you would grant them an abundance of your wisdom. I need so much wisdom in this day and age. So prepare their hearts, not just with wisdom, but to have welcoming hearts and to love those that you give them, each and every one, no matter how difficult. Give them grace as they help students who aren't thriving at home, in life, in school. Give them the courage to say what's needed, the tools and knowledge and how to deal with them, the loving hearts and when to speak those words of love and encouragement. Lord, these educators, that's, that's a tough road to hoe sometimes, so please provide them strength when they feel weak. And when they feel unseen, remind them that no moment, no act of love goes unnoticed by you. Lord, they're shaping the future in just so many small, incredibly important ways, so many people every day, so we ask your blessing upon them. May they even... Just give them an occasional glimpse of how their faithfulness will forever impact a child and generations to come. So, Lord Jesus, help them to serve you as you deserve. Help them to give and not count the cost, to labor and not ask for reward, and to be satisfied in knowing that they do your will day by day. And we pray in your good name, our teacher, Jesus. Amen. So, thank you. Can we give these guys some applause? That... A um, few other things. Can, hey, we didn't even talk about this. Could you guys bring that welcome slide back up for just a second? I know that's totally random. I'm making a, uh, an audible here. I mean, it is football season, so I am giving an audible to, uh, or audible or two. Uh, is that thing up there? Yeah, so is Jamie in the house? She's probably outside welcoming people or something, but she's, 
given, I don't even remember how long, she's given leadership to our welcome ministry here, here for a while, does a great job. She is the embodiment of a welcoming person. Jesus is welcoming. So what, what she leads is very valuable. So give her, a, give her a pat on the back or something. Yeah, give her some applause and we'll make sure she's in here next service. Um, yeah, if there was anything that could be said of Jesus, it was that he was a welcoming person. God is welcoming. So many of his parables, he talks about that the kingdom of God is a feast and a party, and he frequently says, I want my house full. So his desire. So we want to be a welcoming community, and so that's important. I just want to reiterate something new that we're trying, and this isn't, it's not a tactic or anything like that, but when people come, and if, if they're brave enough, you know, because I'm, I'm an introvert, I'd probably go to church three or four times uh, back in the old days before I would have shown my face. In the, I mean, I would have come before I would have gone to a welcome center. But if somebody does that, and they're given that welcome bag, that's to give them some important things to know about the church. But that's also, that bag is a little bit of a sign to us, maybe not a little bit, that's, that if you see somebody with those, this is probably their first time. And so let's just swarm them, like 50 people jump on them all at once, because <laughs> that's what us introverts love, right? We just love all that attention. No, just if you see somebody, say hi, and we're not, we're not going to make a big deal out of it as far as, like I said, we're not going to swarm people, but we want to be a welcoming community. So um, just start keeping your eyes out for that, and, and yeah, that's... And then one more thing about the welcoming. This guy... This nice guy is going to be part of our family in six days. So, all right. Yeah, just you wait, you dads, till that, that first daughter. Yeah, so just about us being a welcoming community this week, we had the chance to live out our mission because we want to be restoring. God cares about all things, right? And we're restoring all things to God, one person, one place at a time. We got to do this twice in kind of a bigger way this week. Got to go to the middle school last Monday, and as they were having their teacher training, about 150 people, we were able to feed them and to serve them and to be a blessing. Lisa made these really awesome cards that we put on the tables just telling them that that this is a, a community of people who love Jesus who are just wanting to bless them. Just, and so that was really cool to be there and to be a part of that. And then also this week, the blood drive was here three days. And I mean, it was just packed with people constantly. And that picture doesn't even do it justice because there were even people over on this side. But we got a chance to be a blessing to our community and touch people um, through that way. So I'm just, uh, I love the ways that we are touching our community holistically in whatever way that we see a need and that we can be a, a blessing to people and to show the blessing of God to them because um, we are blessed to be a blessing. So just wanted to give a shout out to everybody who was involved with, uh, with all of that. And one more thing, last Sunday we had a communion or the Lord's Supper and we, uh, in doing that I had, I think, five guys that were picked out that were going to like walk the aisles. And last week, after our last communion, we talked about we needed to have a gluten-free option because there are people who that is really important. So we, 
we did that. And so I had a sheet for like all the guys who were helping do the communion servant who were doing the rows. And then I had another sheet for uh, the individual that was going to have the gluten-free option. So I had people raise their hand if that's what they needed, and we got it to them. And I had, from emails, I knew who was doing that first service, so I had their name written at the top of that. And then second service, I, wasn't, I hadn't heard from anybody, and so I just decided what I would do is I would randomly ask somebody before second service. So I had written at the top of their sheet instructing them what to do, uh, gluten guy, okay? Gluten guy. I didn't know who it was going to be, but it was just going to be gluten guy. So gave that paper to that individual, and then that individual threw another person, because they just quite, weren't quite willing to, to do this to my face, I think. <laughs> Not really. Through an individual, I got that paper back after the service, and they had made a note on their paper that they wanted me to see that was actually quite significant. So here, here it was, gluten guy, but I don't know if you can, I really went to school for all of you educators, okay? <laughs> I did go to school. I was good at spelling, really. I was. <laughs> so he, like, underlined it, question mark, definition, an excessively greed eater, so that I would, so I had my vocabulary lesson of the day. So I just want to tell gluten guy, glutton guy. Uh, actually, it was, a, it was a Freudian reference. It was just, uh, there was more going on than you realize. So that was pretty funny. What's funny is, is these things keep happening with the same guy, so uh, <laughs> I appreciate him a lot. So, all right, are you ready to, to jump into the Word of God after all of that? Okay, um, so we've been doing Proverbs, the fine art of living well, and wrapping it up today, but I'm going to wrap it up by doing something a little bit different. Um, because in doing Proverbs, I love the book of Proverbs, I always have. I find it very practical, um, come back to it at least once a year, and God always speaks to me about new things that He's wanting to work on in my life through it. But there is a great danger in just doing a series in Proverbs. And here's the danger, that somebody might come, might have come this summer, or maybe they've been new for a few months, and they've been in this study on Proverbs, and they've been listening to it. And it's, it's a lot of these great little pithy moral statements like how to live life, right? Like last week, above all else, guard your heart. For it's the source of, of life. It's the source of everything you do. And they're, they're important and they, they have important truth. But in doing Proverbs, it could really, really easily, it could be easy for a person to leave here and think what Christianity is and what the Bible and Jesus is about is being a good person and following rules and just having moral improvement to your life. In fact, I got asked this a lot by when I used to work with international students. They would ask me, um, or a lot of them would have the initial image that what Christianity was was this whole thing of moral improvement, or we'll call it moral reformation. And I really felt like I needed to end Proverbs by saying something really important, that Jesus and the Bible is not about moral reformation. I'm not like one of those guys that when I talk, I like people to like repeat. I mean, you repeat some things I do, but I'm like not repeat my phrases, this phrase or something, but this one's so important, I actually want you to do it. I would like for you to say with me, not moral reformation. Can you do that? Ready? Go. Not moral reformation. It is not about moral reformation. 
Jesus is not about just learn some good rules, add them to your life, and just slowly get a little bit better, get more moral, become a better person. That's not the point. And here's what moral reformation would say, is the basic, I am basically okay. I probably don't have a lot of things wrong in my life. My life needs a little tweaking. I just need to change this little thing here in my life, that little thing there in my life. I have the power to adequately change myself. I can just take these proverbs, apply them to my life, and that'll change my life, right? I can simply change myself through moral improvement or self-help techniques. Just give me some rules, a list of moral rules, self-help techniques are all I need. I can get that out of any religion or any self-help book. Um, you know, t- the Ten Commandments, whatever it is, just, just take a list of rules, stick them on the wall, put them on your fridge, and try to do that and just become a better person. That a lot of people, that's how most people actually view life, how they view religion, how they view being a good person, but that is the total opposite of what Jesus and the Bible teach. The paradigm of people who, in thinking this way is that what really religion is or what the Bible is is making bad people good. That's kind of the paradigm, making bad people good. You're probably wondering what the worm thing is doing on there, uh, the worm thing. Um, we'll get to that. Here's what moral reformation is. I'm, this is me. I'm living my life. I kind of get a little moral thing in my life, something that's not working right, something I'm not, you know, I need to work on my lying a little bit or I need to work on, on my words or, you know, I don't know, whatever. There's just something I need to work on a little bit. And moral ref- reformation is I'll just take a few rules, apply a few principles, and it kind of creates this Band-Aid on that thing and I'm okay. I'm better and I just keep moving on and living life. That's, if I were to give a picture to what moral reformation looks like, to me that's what it is. It's a worm that just gets a little thing here or there and you just put a Band-Aid on it and through rules or some practice you seek to, to improving it better. But there's some problems with this. There's some problems. I want to show you what the Bible says are the problems with this view of life. And I want to start with a proverb. Proverbs 29 says this. Who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean and without sin? Anybody here can say that? I don't, probably not. Who can say that? Nobody can, because we all, I think, know the depths of our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 gets even stronger with this. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Pretty powerful statement, huh? that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's beyond cure. Uh, Jeremiah, like, could you tell us what you really think about the human heart? Right? Pretty strong statement. Genesis 6.5 says this, that the inclination of his, referring to humanity, of humanity's heart was toward what? Evil. Okay, so... If you've got either the human heart is inclined towards the good side or it's inclined towards the dark side, so to speak. What does the Bible say is the inclination of our heart? Towards which side? Towards the dark side, right? The little devil guy. Because our hearts are deceitful above all things. And who can say their hearts are pure? And if you're like, I'm not sure of this because there's a lot of philosophies And there are even religions who believe that humanity starts on the good side. And it's only through other forces that we become bad. But the Bible says, if I showed you in chapter 8, I I believe in Genesis, it says, it is this way from birth. 
that the Bible says our inclination is towards the dark side from birth. Now, if you don't trust me on this, if you think this sounds, this is a little dark, this statement, um, can I give you some evidence from my own life? Um, so here's an example. Yeah, this is what the Bible says. So let's say I say, you know what? I, when we have pizza, I tend to eat too many slices. So I, in January, I make the resolution that when we have pizza, it's only two slices for me, and then I'm done, and I'm going to let the family have the rest of it. And how long do most New Year's resolutions last? How many weeks would you say? How many? Three? Two? Wow, you guys are much morally, better morally reformed than I am. It takes me about a week, and I'm back to my four slices, okay? Right? The thing that I want to do, the thing that I commit to do, that the inclination of my heart isn't to doing that thing, but the inclination is towards the thing I don't want to do, right? Don't we all know that? How about this? I'm going to start drinking a lot more water and a lot less of that drink that comes from, uh, you know, the place where the Greek gods live, whatever, Mountain Dew. I'm just going to, I need, I need to, uh, I need to do less of that. And in less than a week, um, I'm down in Mountain Dews again, Okay. This is the inclination of our heart. Or how about another one? Uh, this year, I'm going to work out a lot more. I'm going to do a whole lot more workout stuff. And so you pay for, uh, you pay for what, the whole, the year, res the whole year for uh, doing workouts at the, the thing. You can tell I don't go to one. <laughs> <laughs> the what? What's it called? The, <laughs> the gym. Yeah. That's a pretty easy word. Garen, the gym. Okay. By the way, do you know, what, you know what gyms call most of us who sign up for a year? Just 100% profit because most of us don't ever go back, right? So what ends up happening is, is this becomes reality, right? You're going to go to the gym every week and it ends up you're just spending more time on the couch watching movies and all of that. This is human nature. I think this is true of all of us, that the reality is, is that the inclination of our heart is in the direction towards the dark side. That is the inclination. It is hard to do good. The heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah 13, 23 says of the human heart, can a leopard change its spots? Can you change your heart? Can you change that inclination of your heart? Can you change the deceitfulness and the, ability, the inability to cure it? Is that something that can be changed? And the answer is, it would be what? No, a leopard can't change its spots. I can't change my heart. Let me show you some really key scripture on this. Colossians 2, powerful text that I come back to quite a lot. Why do you act as if you still belong to this world by following rules like these? Don't handle this, don't taste that, don't even touch that thing. These rules refer to earthly things that are gone as soon as they are used. They are only human commands and teachings. They seem to be wise. Moral reformation seems to be wise, but they're only part of human religion. They make people pretend not to be proud, and they make them punish their bodies. But this is really crucial. They do not really control the evil desires of the sinful self. Having rules, putting things on walls, you know, whatever paper. I'm not saying you don't, we don't do that. We don't put verses up and that kind of thing. That will not change your heart. Outer rules don't change your heart. Obeying rules or principles will never change your heart. The issue in the Bible is the human heart. It's not behavior, it's the heart. And, and we can do all sorts of self-help, all sorts of moral reformation, and it will never deal with the heart. It'll never deal with the heart. Look at what Paul says. This is so profound. And use this with internationals a lot. And as I read this, you tell me if this doesn't totally speak to the reality of your life, 
to where you're like, this guy, it was Paul when he wrote this, was watching my life, and he wrote this about my life. Because here's what Paul says, I'm a slave to sin. In here, I'm a slave. I'm going to read the whole thing, then I'm going to go back and highlight a few things. In fact, I want you to do something with me, because this is so true of all of us. Would you stand up and read this with me? So this is Romans 7, and let's start. I am a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do, I do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the bad things I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there within me. What a terrible man I am who will rescue me. And this is God's word. You may be seated. So here's what Paul says. I'm a slave to sin. Because in the Bible, the problem is the human heart. It's not behavior, it's the heart. We have a corrupted, broken heart. And he says this, I don't understand what I do. Now tell me if you don't totally resonate with Paul. What I want to do, I do not do. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. What I do is not the good I want to do. Anybody hear that? Blow up at the kids or something and you say, I'm never doing that again. And it lasts, what, a week or two? The good that I want to do, I can't do. Then he says this, what I hate to do, I do. The bad things I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I mean, this is human reality. I think the Bible totally fits human reality. The inclination of our heart is towards the dark side. We are a slave to sin. We struggle doing the good we want to do. We struggle constantly doing the things we really don't want to do. And the question that he asks when he says, I'm a slave to sin, is who will rescue me? And we'll come back to that in a minute. So the human heart is the problem in the Bible. The human heart's the problem. We all struggle with the heart. That's the whole point of the Old Testament, of the story of Israel and their continual failure. God rescued them, delivered them from Egypt, gave them His law, and His law did not change a single heart because it's incapable of changing the human heart. The law, any rules on the wall, anything, it's external to me, it's outside, and I can long for it, and I can want to do it, and there's nothing wrong with them. We're told the law is good in Romans, but the law is incapable of changing the human heart, and this is our struggle. And I mean, those of you, you know, us who are getting old, I think you all know the reality. The older you get, the, the more you realize how much darkness is in you and how deeply rooted it is. As you get older, you may learn to be better at some things, but as you get older, your awareness of the darkness of your heart just increases. And this is the problem according to the Bible. So the problem with this whole thing of moral reformation, number, prob, moral reformation number one is it's a bad heart. I have a deep root of darkness in my heart that I cannot remove. And my life needs a totally new OS, a totally new operating system. I need to have massive change in my life, not tweaks. I've got to have some massive change internally in here. And the second problem is, is not only is my heart bad, but I'm powerless. I do not have the power to adequately change myself 
I need God to totally change me from the inside out. I need God himself to change me from the inside out. So, what's the solution? Radical spiritual transformation. The Bible does not teach moral reformation. It teaches radical spiritual transformation. This is our need. The solution is, is I need, I needed, we all need to be made new. Only a new and transformed heart will give me what I need. I need a new birth where God gives me a new heart and a new spirit. That is the human need. Not being a better person. A new heart. Spiritual transformation. I want to show you a couple of scriptures that relate to this. This is one of the most important from the Old Testament, the book of Ezekiel, talking about the new covenant that would come with Messiah, with Jesus. And here's what God said. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will, now listen, look at the eyes because I bolded them in here. This is God talking, all right? I'm going to sprinkle you clean. Not you, I will. I will give you a new heart. Really important word in the whole Bible. This is a gift. It's not something I do to earn. I will give you, what will he give us? A new heart. And put inside of us a what? A new spirit in you. And God says, I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put not just a new spirit, but specifically what spirit? He says, I will put my spirit in you. And when he's in you internally, and you have a new heart and you have my spirit, what will that spirit do? He will move me to follow God's laws. Does that make sense? The book of Proverbs doesn't come first as far as all those moral things. This new heart comes first. And when you have that new heart and he gives you that new ability to do those things, then he moves you to put into practice and application the things we've talked about all summer. Jesus said this, I will ask the Father and he will, there's that word again, he will what? He will give you another helper to be with you forever. And this helper is, it's the spirit of truth. He will live with you, and most importantly, he will be in you. It's all about the heart. It's all about a new heart. It's all about a new spirit. It's all about being changed and transformed internally. It's all about spiritual, radical spiritual transformation. It is not about moral reformation. We need to be saved from ourselves and changed by God. And here's what his promise is. If I, and in a minute, we're going to talk about how do you receive this new heart. We're going to talk about that. But when you receive it and this new spirit, here's what we're told the spirit does. Daily, day by day, we are being transformed. Where? Inwardly. By whom? By the spirit of the Lord to become more and more like Jesus, to become more like him. But it's the spirit's work to inwardly transform me day by day. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the Holy Spirit is the one that produces the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If I believe in moral reformation, what I do is, is I hear something about being a more loving person, and then I go out that week, and I try really, really hard. Jason kind of talked about this this summer. I try really, really hard to become a more loving person, and it lasts how many days? before that old self comes back and undermines everything I've attempted. 
because I am trying to produce on my own through moral reformation, love or peace or patience, and it won't work. It'll have limited effect, and the thing it won't do is it won't change your heart. But if I have this new heart, this new birth, this new spirit in me, he begins to produce inside of me these qualities, and they start to flow out of you. Big difference, right? I hope you see the difference because it's really important. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any was in, is in Christ, they are a, what kind of creation? New. The old is gone and the new has come. If you're in Him, you're a totally new person, new heart, new spirit. And then through that, He moves you to follow Him. So today, I just wanted to give a call out and make sure we all understood. And I didn't want to leave this to unclear at all. I wanted it to be crystal clear. The moral reformation is not the message of Jesus. It's not the message of the Bible. The Bible and the story of Jesus, the story of the whole Bible, is about that we need radical spiritual transformation because our heart is deceitful above all things. It's utterly corrupt. It is inclined towards the dark side. I need to be made new. Only a new and transformed heart will give me what I need. I need a new birth where God gives me a new heart and a new spirit. Now, so help me. I want you to help me. This is seeing how well you paid attention. I, it, it was back a ways, but in the moral reformation paradigm, the whole paradigm is this, making what kind of person what? Do you remember? Making bad people good. The Bible's paradigm and this paradigm of spiritual transformation is, is instead of making gad, bad people good, this is what the Bible says, bringing dead people to life. Isn't that radically different? Taking a bad person and making them good or a good person and making them better. Or what the Bible teaches is, is we from birth are spiritually dead and spiritually dead people need, what do they need? They need life. The story of the Bible is not, hey, you're bad, get better. You're bad, get good. The story of the Bible is you're dead, get life, be made alive. And a dead person can't make themselves alive. That can only come from outside of them. Is that correct? And that's what the Bible is. Here's what Jesus says in John 5, 24. One of the first verses I memorized as a teen after I was a new believer where Jesus said, listen, this is very important truth. For those of you who have, go back to the old King James days, it's verily, verily. But listen, this is very important truth. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from, what? Death to life. That's the message of Jesus and the message of the Bible. Not moral reformation, not bad people becoming good, good people becoming better. It is dead people with a dead heart inclined towards evil with a heart that's deceitful above all things, needing a new and living heart, a new spirit, needing to go from death to life. Charles Spurgeon said, Christ did not come to make bad men good or even good men better. He came to make dead men live. And C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity said, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. It is not mere improvement, but transformation. This is the whole of Christianity. There is nothing else. There is nothing else. Not moral reformation, but radical spiritual transformation.
So the Bible's not a message of moral reformation. That is simply not enough. The Bible teaches that we need a radical spiritual transformation. We are dead and need to be made alive. We need the type of spiritual metamorphosis that only God can bring. You guys know metamorphosis? Yeah, that's why I've been having this butterfly. Radical spiritual transformation means spiritual metamorphosis. Going from being one kind of thing to a totally new, radically different kind of thing. That is what the Bible is all about. So I just want to take a minute. In your bulletin, a couple things. There's, there's like a big sheet that has all of this on it. And I put that in there because I have this conversation a lot with people who think that being, in their mind, religion, and a lot of religion is about becoming a better person or a good person, and they don't understand that in Jesus and the Bible, it's not about becoming a good person, it's becoming an alive person who is dead spiritually. Totally different message. So I put that in there just as a resource that if you ever want to use with somebody, that you can. There's also a half sheet that has John 3 on the back of it. And we're not going to spend a lot of time, but I just want to take a minute and look at what I think is the key passage that talks about this. And it's John chapter 3. And we're going to draw on this a little bit. So if you want to, to take that half sheet that has it, and if you want to draw some, you can help me. But it says, there was a man named Nicodemus who was one of the Pharisees. That was the highest religious leaders in his culture. They were the religious guys of his day. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He was the top 70, one of the experts in their religion. He came to Jesus at night, probably because he was afraid of being seen by the other 70 or the other Pharisees, but anyways. And he said, teacher, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. No one can do miracles, the miracles you do, unless God is with him. And Jesus replied, listen, this is very important truth. Unless one is born again, he cannot see God's kingdom. Nicodemus replied, Now, but if a man is already old like me, how can he be born again? He cannot enter his mother's body again, so how can he be born a second time? And then Jesus said, Listen, this is very important truth. Unless one is born from water and the Spirit, he cannot enter God's kingdom. A person's physical life is born from his human parents, but a person's spiritual life is born from the Spirit. Don't be surprised when I tell you, you all must be born again. Now, when I do a text, there's a couple things I do, and I want you to help me with, to, to really get the main point. And this is pretty clear, but I always like to, to do things like circle repeated words. So can you guys help me? There are some really significant words repeated in here. What are some words you guys see repeated in this text? And say it loud. Oh, and by the way, yeah, so I can hear you because, again, my, in aging, I'm, my hearing is shot. I can not only not know what it, I don't know what a gem is, my hearing is shot too. Also, just, let, and let's not focus on words like of or the so much. We want to kind of focus on bigger words. So, I, I, somebody said something. Listen. <laughs> that was awesome. That wasn't the word in the text. That's like, Garen, listen. Now, now the word is, <laughs> listen. What, twice at least? And I don't want to do that. I want to do red. Listen is here, and it's in verse 5. Born. born. How many times do you see born? I'm going to do that one in green. I see it here. Unless one is born, be born. So, born. 
born here, born here, born, born. And I know the word, isn't the word birth in here somewhere? Um, maybe not. I thought the word birth was in here. Do you ever see a word connected with born repeated more than once? What? Again, at least twice, I might be wrong, but if there's more, let me know. Born again. Any other words that you see repeated? What's that? Yeah, very important truth. In fact, it goes with that listen. Listen. This is very important truth. Listen. This is very important truth. Pretty important, don't you think? Okay. What else? Unless. Yes, I know it's at least twice, but it could be more. Unless one is born again, and unless, is that the only two? And there's one more? Which verse? In verse 2? Teacher, we know a teacher. No one can be called. Unless? Yeah, so he takes this word unless, and Jesus almost is playing with it and saying, no, let me tell you, because he totally changes the subject. Let me tell you an unless that's more important. Okay, what else? What's that? There is on the firstborn? Yes. Which would be very similar to... Okay, here it is. So there's three of those. Thank you, Mark. That's why you're up there. He told me, I'm sitting in the front row to watch you. So that's what he was doing. He knew that thing. thing. Any other things? There's at least another phrase to me that really stands out. What's that? Life. In what verses do you see that? I see it here. Yeah, physical life, spiritual life. Another one to me that stands out is kingdom of God occurs twice. And that's really connected to unless one is born again, he cannot. Interestingly, the first time he says see and the second time he says enter. That cannot is a pretty strong word, don't you think? cannot see the kingdom, cannot enter unless what? What's the word that's most repeated, the most critical word in all of this? Born. And then specifically born again. Born a second time, right? So unless a person is born again, they can't enter the kingdom, they can't even see the kingdom. Pretty crucial teaching, don't you think? And, I mean, there are words in here, the Spirit down here, um, the spirit occurs, the word spiritual, but spirit occurs a couple of times, connects us a lot to like the Ezekiel passage. So here's what's interesting. Here's the question then. Okay, if it's not about moral reformation, moral reformation, if it's not about I come to church, I learn a cool truth, and I try to apply it to my life so I can go from being a good a bad to a good person, a good to a better person, if that's not the point, if the point is radical spiritual transformation, if my heart is dark and is in need of, I need a new heart and I need a new spirit. And Jesus is talking about this in terms of being born again spiritually. In verse 9, it's according to which translation you read, but in verse 9 in some translations, Nicodemus says this, how can I receive this? How can I receive this? If it's not about moral transformation, moral, sorry, reformation, it's radical spiritual transformation. If I have a dark heart, deceitful above all things, how do I get this heart transplant? How do I receive that? How does this birth happen? And thankfully, John told us two chapters before in chapter 1 
where here's what he said. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not welcome him. Some, however, did welcome him. In other words, they believed in his name. A name is who a person fully is in their culture. So, in other words, to believe in his name means that is, this is, this is Garen's words, okay? Just thrown in. They threw the full weight of who they were into the full weight of who he is. That he is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is the Creator who became human. So I welcome him into my life. I believe in his name. I throw the full weight of who I am on the full weight of who he is, Lord and Savior. To those people who do that, Jesus, there's that word again, gives the right to become what? God's children. They did not become God's children by natural means, by being born of a human father. No, they were born of If I want to be born of God, if I want to become God's child, how do I receive that gift? I receive it by what? Welcoming Jesus, believing in his name, throwing the full weight of who I am upon him. And if I do that, the promise is is that he will then give me not only eternal life, he will give me a new heart and he'll put his Holy Spirit in me and he begins to live in me and through me and I start a journey not of me obeying rules to change myself but of him changing me inwardly and outwardly and then as I read his word and as I read a proverb about guarding my heart or whatever that the Holy Spirit inside of me moves me and assists me in living that out. Does that make sense? Because he's transforming me inwardly. The Bible is consistent on this idea. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And 1 John 5.1 says, Everyone who, what? Who believes, who throws the full weight of who they are and the full weight of who He is, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord, the King, my great King, Whoever believes that is born of God. Okay? Following Jesus, the Jesus movement, all of this, it's not about being a good person. It's not about moral reformation. It's not about moral improvement. It is about radical spiritual transformation. It is about a spiritual metamorphosis that happens when I welcome Jesus into my life. And he comes into me and he takes that old, that heart of stone and he removes it and he gives me a new and a living heart and his Holy Spirit comes in me and day by day he begins to transform me slowly, little by little, three steps forward, two steps back. He begins to transform me and make me the kind of person that he wants to be to form me into the image of Jesus. On that big sheet, by the way, I made an error. I have First Peter, at the very bottom, I have these two verses, and then I have a C also, and I accidentally put First Peter 1-3 again. That should be Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7. So that's an assignment. Go home and read Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 7, another way that this is said. So there may be somebody here today who's like, you know, I thought this thing was all about just being a good person. And I'm coming to church to learn rules how to be better. And hopefully you're leaving here today, one, crystal clear that that's not the point. That that's not the point at all. That what it's about is recognizing the reality of my heart. That I I am powerless to change it. And coming to Jesus and bowing before him in great humility and just saying, I need you so desperately because my heart is so corrupt. 
and it generates so much junk in my life. I need you desperately, and I want to follow you, and I want to love you. I want to receive your forgiveness of sins. I want to receive that, for, that new heart. I want to receive your spirit. And if there's anybody here like that today, and you're like, okay, can you help me a little more on how I do that? This may be a little wordy, but this is the kind of thing that you could say to him to be inviting him into your life to receive the new life that he promises. It would just be something like, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I have wronged you. Though you created me for yourself, I've turned my back on you and I've lived for myself seeking after other things. And I'm tired of my old life. That inability to really morally reform myself. I'm tired of the treadmill of being a good person, right? And I desire to have a relationship with you. Please forgive me. I believe you died on the cross in my place to pay the punishment for my sin, and I accept your sacrifice on my behalf. I now turn back to you fully believing that you died and came back to life to bring me forgiveness, to bring me back into a relationship with yourself, to give me a new heart and a new spirit so I can truly love and serve you. Today I choose to accept the free gift of your salvation from my sin. I now offer you my whole life my whole life. I give you leadership in my life. I now desire to love and to follow you as my Lord and as my master. And if you just said something like that to him, Revelation 3.20, taken a little out of context, but the principle is still true, that if anybody hears him knocking at the door of your heart, he says, if you will open that door and if you will welcome me in, I will come into you and we will fellowship and have a relationship that he promises to respond to this. And when he comes in and the spirit comes in and you get that new heart, it radically changes the rest of your life. Everything becomes different because it becomes about living out of a relationship with God and this inward spirit, the spirit who lives in you, who is changing and transforming you, giving you the power to do the things that you cannot normally do. That's the good news of Jesus. Isn't that good news? That I can get off the treadmill of trying to be a better person all the time. That constant treadmill of self-improvement, self-improvement, when you, we all know the struggle of that, of what Paul talked about, that the good things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do those things, and we can get off that treadmill, and we can rest in His grace, and He says, here's a gift of eternal life, here's a gift of a relationship, here's a gift of a new heart, here's a gift of my Holy Spirit in you to transform you and to walk with you. All you have to do is receive it, to welcome Jesus, to accept Him, to throw the full weight of you into him, and if you do that, he'll give that to you. Isn't that a great message? That's why it's called good news, because it's not about me being a good person anymore. It's about me accepting that new heart from him. It's all his work. It's all to his glory. It's all about him. It's not about me. So if you are interested in this, in this decision, if you even, you, you this morning, internally, you prayed something like this, or you want to talk to somebody about this, I would love to do that. You can come up Find me up here, find me back there. I mean, the, the safety guys have a hard time finding me, I hear, that I'm, you know, here and there. So just find me somewhere, come by the church. You might have a friend here that you're close to. They, I think most people know this good news, and they can explain it to you. So would you stand with me? So I hope I've been crystal clear. Jesus in the Bible is not about what? More, it's not about moral... It's not about making bad people good, but it is about radical 
spiritual transformation. It is about metamorphosis, like from that worm to a butterfly, totally new thing. It is about Jesus making dead people alive again. So, Father, I pray that if there is anyone here who has not met you, has not invited you into their life, has not received that gift of salvation, of a new heart, of a new spirit, that you, Lord, would be speaking to them of the reality of their heart and the brokenness of their heart and of their inability to save themselves and to become the kind of person that we should be, that that's only something that you can give us. And if there is somebody like that today, I pray that you would be moving them towards that receiving of you and that offer of life that you have for us. And Lord, for the rest of us, help us to remember the gospel is not just the ABCs, it is the A to the Zs, and sometimes we get into that trying mode that Jason talked about earlier this summer where we're trying to change ourselves when what it really means is drawing closer to you, being in spiritual training so that you can transform us. So help us to, uh, even as believers, we can get stuck on that trying mode sometimes. Help us to learn to lean into you and that relationship more so that you and your power can change us. And we pray this in your good name. Amen. So let us go this week and be God's people in wherever we are, being people who are spiritually transformed and are giving evidence of that reality in our life. So bless you guys.